Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, episode 13. Uh, today, I want to welcome Erica Marcano, uh, athletic trainer, strength coach, and recently started a holistic business, uh, Notorious ATC. Erica, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm so happy you could come on. I'm happy, too. Lucky number 13. I know. It's a perfect number. <laughs> Uh, so why don't we go into stuff? Let's just go over like, you know, early life growing up and stuff. And then we'll move into how you got involved in athletic training in the industry. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say early, depending on how far back you want to go, I grew up in a family that was very focused on fitness. Um, my dad, I would say he's always been a fitness enthusiast, um, very much into whether it was natural bodybuilding. Uh, he was a runner, very into nutrition. Um, and, super up on the research. I mean, my dad's the only person I've ever heard, like he'll hear that something's good for you. He really believes in like food as medicine. Right. So he would read that like dark chocolate was really good with like antioxidants. And he'd tell me like, Oh, I started taking a square of chocolate a day. And I'm like, dad, we don't take chocolate <laughs> and we enjoy it. Right. Um, but that's kind of, he's all the way on that one side. And then my mom, uh, she's more of like, a social fitness person, right? She revolves around like everything with food. She's Italian. Food is like family time for her. Exercise was something that she did with her friends. You know, she would run around the track uh, for an hour, but she'd be with one of her girlfriends and they'd be chatting the whole time. And so I was kind of fortunate that while I grew up in a family that was really focused on health and fitness, I really got to see two different perspectives of it, which was really healthy for me. Yeah, no, it's a good balance. Uh, growing up in a Italian family, the same thing. Uh, mine's kind of similar, except my dad's in phenomenal shape, but doesn't eat anything healthy. And then my mom is, you know, food is a, is a big deal and it's, it's a special thing. So it's awesome growing up the same way. Uh, so why don't we go into high school and, you know, uh, how that went and then how we got into AT. Yeah, so in high school, um, I was an athlete in high school. I was a varsity swimmer all four years. And there's kind of a lot of foreshadowing, I guess, now that I look back on um, my high school year. So I got injured my senior year of swim. I was looking at like trying to get recruited and swim in college. Um, I got injured. And so that kind of, you know, put a pin in that for me. Um, but while I was in, in high school, I was interested in a lot of other things. I was also an art student. I also was in a science research program for my junior and senior year. And actually my research was on athletes and it was investigating whether high school athletes did better in school uh, the semester that they were in season with their sport or their out of season semester. And as you could probably guess, the majority, um, it was statistically significant, the majority of them did better in season and it all kind of boiled down to time management. And so I was really interested in all these different elements of sport, even while being an athlete myself, right? Because I saw that in myself, I saw it in my friends and I wanted to see like, could I actually find proof of that and the reasoning behind it? Yeah, I think you bring up a very good point that the time management thing, you know, uh, 
even back then it's a problem and i think it's still something that is a problem you know right now you know the especially i think it's growing you know the volume and the things that these kids do especially earlier and then just in general uh people try to kind of push fitness or don't think of it as part of their day it's kind of something extra and i think that leads into a lot of problems and similar to you you know that's how i got in strength conditioning i got hurt in college and then it kind of unearthed all this stuff uh, so after, you know, your time in, in swimming and in high school, where did you go? Uh, where did you take yourself for college? So I started college at Fordham. Um, and I actually, even though I loved athletics and, you know, sports medicine, and I was interested in all that stuff. I actually was not majoring in anything to do with sports sciences. I was a communications major and I was thinking about going into like PR or journalism but I was coaching swimming as my part-time job. And so I was coaching swimming, I was going to physical therapy, and at some point, probably early in my sophomore year at Fordham, I started to realize that I really enjoyed what I was doing for my part-time job more than the classes I was in for my major. And so I started having this kind of like crisis of like, oh, I need to switch majors, and luckily I was only a sophomore, but when I started looking into athletic training, what I learned was that athletic training as a profession, they were on the cusp of changing how the certification process went. So it used to be an hours based and it was all based on your internship. And then of course you had to sit for a board exam and it was changing over to a process where the program that you went to school had to also be board accredited and it was going to change the year that I graduated. So I was kind of in this place where I might not have been able to sit for my boards because of the changes that were happening. And so I ended up having to transfer schools, which is how I ended up at LIU, <laughs> which is where the whole story really begins. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I just want to back up a little bit. So when you were swimming in high school, did you like, did you do specific type of training? Like, were you involved a lot in your training for swimming because of the upbringing? I was swimming you know, for my club team at home and I was swimming for my high school team and I was doing a bit of cross training. Um, a lot of it was still cardio. Like I was training with the track team to try and like in develop endurance. Um, and I was doing a little bit of strength work, but at that time, like swimmers weren't really taught that we should be lifting. Um, you know, it, even in our weight room in high school, really all you saw in there was like the football team ever. Um, swimmers definitely were not in there. I didn't have a strength coach. I didn't have an athletic trainer. It was kind of like before all those things were common in high school. So I was kind of left to my own devices. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, when I was in high school also, you know, we, it was football, we bench squatted and deadlifted and that's all we did. No athletic trainer, you know, no strength coach and nobody really knew what was going on. So it's kind of crazy how far it's actually come, you know, in such a short, a short time, you know, it's almost like we went from a hundred years ago and now, you know, all the crazy advances and stuff that we're uh, dealing with now. Uh, so why don't we go into the, the start of the story and, and how you got to LIU and, and the uh, athletic training journey. Yeah, so um, LIU, I ended up picking LIU. I was looking at all these different schools for athletic training, and I really was looking for somewhere that had an accredited program. And LIU's program wasn't quite accredited yet. Um, my graduating year was about to be like the first accredited class. So I was moving into a bit of an unsure situation, but the program director, when I met her, she just wowed me. I felt like she was so invested in her students. She was so invested in the program. There wasn't a doubt in my mind that we were going to get accredited. 
And I just kind of immediately felt like that was going to be a home for me. So I ended up transferring and through LIU, I met a ton of amazing people I still keep in touch with, right? So from athletes, from people who were supervising my internships, um, professors, and it's just so cool when you have that kind of community and then you end up becoming a colleague of all those people and still staying in touch and having that mutual respect for each other is really, really nice. And so I wouldn't have traded that experience for the world. And we got accredited and I passed my boards and everything was great. Yeah, no, wonderful place. I mean, same thing for me when I first got there. I was like, this place is insane. And that same director I'm sure you're talking about is the reason why I went to LIU because when I initially got there, they forgot I scheduled my uh, classes and then came out of her office and said, come here, I'll help you. And we're still uh, close today. Uh, but yeah, like I said, the, the biggest thing about LIU is always the family. You know, it's a little school and nobody's really, a lot of people haven't heard of it, but it's, you know, it's that camaraderie that's there, you know, all those people, it's like everybody goes off and does their different things, but everybody can always come back. We always have a, a kind of a thing, you know, that's, in, that's common, even if we've grown and, and the things going on. Uh, yeah. So why don't we go through the, you know, the stuff at LIU after you passed your boards and things like that and, and moving into like a, a professional role as an AT. So um, after I left LIU, so we graduated, we were accredited, I took a job at Penn State and it was a 10 month internship and it was just like this dream job for me. Um, I really wanted to do an internship because as a student at LIU, they had a combined degree program, right? It was a BSMS. And so I hadn't had a lot of independent time for myself where I wasn't really being supervised by anybody. And I felt like that was really important. So I decided to do this internship. And as you know, Penn State's a huge football school. Um, I have family in Pennsylvania. All my cousins went there. Um, so I'd been up there for like parties. And I mean, working there was a very different experience from them being students there. But I was really excited. I worked with um, rugby, ice hockey, and tennis when I was there. And that was really my first view of how political the sports world could get. Because like we're saying at LIU, um, you know, there are disagreements between colleagues, but politics didn't really come into play, at least what I saw. And at Penn State, uh, just because there's so much money involved in football, and everything is so high profile, I really saw that come into play. And so that was really interesting for me. And it definitely like shaped where my career went, right? Because a lot of athletic training students think like, I'm going to go work for a really big college, or I want to work for a pro sports team. And after spending the year there, I kind of rethought that whole concept. And I was like, maybe this is not for me, because I really just wanted to be doing my thing with my athletes and able to help people and not have so many other factors involved. So I moved back to New York. I got offered, um, it was actually really nice and really validating. I got offered a job by every place that I had done a clinical rotation at when I was in school. Oh, wow. Um, and that included LIU. And so I ended up taking the job there under um, Danny O'Connor and Tracy. We're both working there at the time. Tracy had just moved into academics and Danny was still in athletics. And so I took the job as assistant athletic trainer there. I started out working women's volleyball, track and field, and women's lacrosse. And I was there for close to five years, in which time I also worked with men's soccer and baseball. 
I think you bring up uh, an amazing point. And for anybody listening that wants to go into the sports world, I've talked about it before. I've had the same experience. Everybody wants to be a strength coach at LSU. Everybody wants to be an AT at Penn State. But when you get there, you know, my experience at with the Mets and yours with, you know, Penn State, that's the th- sort of thing that, that kind of you have to deal with and nobody really tells you about. You know, it's and, and I think the hardest thing is you know what to do and you know what's best for the athletes. But then if somebody doesn't want it or, you know, it takes too long, you know, then you're kind of forced into a, a moral dilemma, if you know, if you will. And I, I think that's one of the hardest things to deal with. So for anybody out there that's interested, not to say that you shouldn't go into that, but make sure you do your due diligence and make sure you do your research because politics are always going to be involved, especially with football and at the bigger schools where, where money and, and those things are um, are brought up. Uh, why don't we go into a little bit more, you know, uh, continuing on with the experience at LIU and uh, into teaching. Yeah, so once I was at LIU, um, obviously as an assistant athletic trainer there, I also got the opportunity to be a professor there, which I loved. Um, and yeah, I you were my first teacher. <laughs> yeah? When I got, yeah, I took CPR class with you when I got there as a junior. I remember you being in there. I didn't know I was your first semester. Yeah, so I taught um, CPR for undergrad students. I taught in the phys ed department. I taught in the sports sciences department. I taught uh, orientation seminar for a while in the honors department because I had been part of the honors program when I was a student there, and that was really fun. Um, and then I ended up later on just becoming an adjunct. Even after I left LIU, I stayed on as a professor, and so I've taught some grad classes there. And I've been teaching in some way, shape, or form since I was like 18, right? I started out as an instructor for the Red Cross teaching CPR classes, which is how I ended up teaching at LIU. And it's something I really, really love. And even if I don't do it every semester, it's definitely something I want to continue to do. And whether that's on a smaller scale, like mentorship, um, and working with grad students and new grads, or teaching back in an undergrad classroom, it's just something I really enjoy and I like to make the time for. And so even after I had moved on from LIU, um, you know, working in outpatient PT, I still was back there twice a week teaching. Yeah, teaching is wonderful. I did it for a little while too. And, you know, initially I didn't really want to do it and I didn't know what to expect. But then as you start doing it, you know, you realize that everything you say, you know, the kids are kind of sucking up. So it makes you better. And, and I think it's a great way to, you know, help people, but also, you know, make them uh, better. Uh, so I have a question. So uh, do you think all of your coaching experience and everything with the swimming and doing the stuff with the Red Cross, uh, did that help you become an AT? Was the transition a little bit easier because you've already had that experience kind of being in charge of, of groups and things like that? It was, and it was in the sense that I was coming from a place where, like, I was an athlete, I was injured, so I understand how you're feeling, right? I've been there. And maybe, you know, my road to recovery is not going to be the same as yours, but if anything, that makes me more motivated because what I didn't have, I want to give to you, right? I think that might be the story for like a lot of people who go into athletic training or go into physical therapy that it's like they had an injury, you know, and either they had an amazing experience recovering and they were like, this is what I want to do, or they didn't have all the resources and then they want to be able to provide those resources for somebody else. Yeah, I think that's a a good point. And that is uh, definitely a thing. I've met a lot of people, myself included, uh, you know, injuries and things like that. You're right. It does go both ways. Either you had a great experience and you're like, oh, wow, you know, I really want to help other people. I want them to get this same kind of treatment or this was atrocious and, you know, I need to do something about it. I mean, mine personally, we talked about the football lifting in high school. I hurt my back doing deadlifts. I couldn't move for six months. I was like 16 and I had no idea what was going on. And all my coaches were like, 
we have no idea what's going on. You know, I was running around a track with sciatic nerve pain. I had nerve, you know, issues going down my leg and all this stuff. And it was pretty brutal, but that's, you know, one of the reasons why I got involved in this stuff. So at least, you know, I think it helps people get motivated, but you know, for all those people that had bad experiences, you know, I think it's a little uh, tougher, but um, you know, that's why we all love the field. The other way, right? If you didn't go into strength coaching, you could have been one of those guys who now at your age, how many years later is like, no, I don't want deadlift. It's bad for my back right? <laughs> because you had that one bad experience and it like scarred you for life, but you went in the opposite direction. And, you know, now not only can you do all those things, but you can help instruct other people to do them. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was a great experience. And I was, I will admit I was anti deadlift for about three years after that. I was like, oh, I don't do that. You know, it's bad for your back, but yeah, I did definitely get over it. Uh, so why don't we go into what happened after, uh, after LIU, after you weren't there as an AT moving on from there? So the reason I left LIU, and I have to say, I loved, I loved my job. I loved what I was doing. I loved working with my athletes. Um, I ended up leaving because I was there close to five years. And I think what really did it for me was the freshmen that came in my first year, they were like family by the time they graduated. Right. And you know, as an athletic trainer, as a strength coach, you are just spending so many hours with your athletes, your work all the time. You're the first one in, you're the last one out, you're sleeping in your office. Um, you're on the road all the time. And so what I realized is I was so proud to see my students graduate and, you know, they graduated and they went on to live their lives outside of sports. Right. But I was kind of, you know, still there, still in the same place. Right. And as my friends were moving on with their lives, you know, I'm missing people's weddings. I'm missing people's baby showers because I'm traveling with these teams. And after five years of that, I kind of said to myself, you know what, I need to move on from this. Even though I love what I'm doing, there's gotta be another way um, that I can serve people, but still move forward with my own life. And so I really have to thank that first graduating class that I worked with because they're really the ones who kind of shoved that in my face a little bit and made me really wake up to that. So I moved on to a job in outpatient physical therapy. And I was a little nervous at first because there are so many athletic trainers who kind of feel like going to the PT clinic is like selling out, um, especially if you've been in the high school or college setting. But again, I got really fortunate. I had some great coworkers. I was able to really do a ton with my patients. And I had some really great patients that I worked with. And the other nice thing was that my company was in a growth phase. So when I got hired, it was very small and it felt like family. And then as I was a few years in, it started to grow. And so what happened is I was able to move into some other positions that gave me a different view of the business, right? So I did a stint in like marketing and branding. And then as they started acquiring new clinics, I was helping with the integration, kind of again in a teaching role, right? Onboarding new staff, letting them know the way things are done, helping them transition. And so I really enjoyed being like a mentor in that way. I was mentoring other new athletic trainers. They were hiring throughout the New York City area. They would come and do a rotation with me for a few weeks before they got placed in their clinic. And so none of those things were things that I like wanted to do full time. So I like ended up in marketing and I like demoted myself back to the clinic, right? <laughs> so I was like, I'm just not happy not working with patients. But they all were things that kind of gave me a really different view of businesses and how they run. And so that really has come in handy along the way in the rest of my career. And then yeah. when I left there, I went to Flex, which is where I ran back into you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, something you bring up with the timing. Uh, I think that's a big issue for a lot of people. You know, you love what you do and you don't, you know, you want to be with the kids and you always want to be around the athletes, but you end up spending years there, you know, and the season never ends. And, you know, in the off season, you're almost with them more than the season. And then the season comes and then, you know, the six months is gone. And as you see, you know, your friends, they get married, they move away, you know, everybody seems to grow and you're stuck, even though you're progressing as, you know, with yourself and your career. But I think, you know, that's a big thing that, you know, it is a grind and it is something. And I think that that's what happens to a lot of people. It's pretty much you stay in there until you can't deal with it anymore. And then you have to kind of go out uh, and, and you know, figure out something else to do. And I think it's awesome. You brought up another great point and, you know, it helped you with your career is you're able to get involved in every facet of the business. And I think that's a very important thing, especially for people coming out of college that a lot of people don't do anymore. They just want to be athletic trainers in the NFL. They just want to be strength coaches, you know, in Major League Baseball, and they don't take the time to go to high schools or learn, you know, kind of how the businesses are run or how different things work. You know, when I was in baseball, I did some ground screw stuff that has nothing to do with strength conditioning. But then, you know, you know how the fields put together and all that stuff, it kind of helps with everything. So I think that's an awesome point that you brought up, you know, and everybody listening, make sure experience is key. You know, I'm sure you can, uh, you know, talk about that, about how, you know, all those things have helped you, you know, become who you are today. Yeah. And it's about like finding out where your strengths are, right? So if you're exactly, a exactly. new grad listening, I'm not saying that you have to go into marketing if you can't do something there, right? But all of us have another skill set that's like beyond kind of the main focus of our career, right? And if we can show our supervisors that we have that skill set that maybe is not our primary job responsibility, and we get the chance to strengthen those muscles every once in a while, it looks great on a resume. It's going to help build your career. And then if you get to the point where you're kind of up for a management type role, you know, it's not that you have to leave doing all the stuff that you love, but you can certainly make those changes and progress in your careers when you've shown people that there are more than, you know, there's more than one side to you. Yeah, of course. And especially, you know, in the realm of strength conditioning and AT, I believe too, we naturally have a leadership role, you know, not necessarily you're a person who's always taking charge, but because of our responsibilities that you're naturally given in the field, I think it's just, you know, you're naturally able to fix problems. Because as you know, you know, an athletic training room full of athletes or a weight room is absolute pandemonium. And, you know, everybody sees it online on YouTube and they're like, oh, this is easy. But in reality, it's one step away from a disaster. You just kind of, you know, you, you remain calm and, and you do what you need to do. But I, I think that's a, an awesome point, you know, to be able to, you know, use all your skill sets, you know, just because you're an athletic trainer and that's not 100% what you can do. You can be a director, you can do marketing, you know, but still kind of keeping a hand on the original uh, goal and the things you want to do. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we go through uh, your time at Flex and then moving uh, after Flex? Yeah, so I was at Flex right up until the pandemic started, actually. So probably three and a half years. And Flex is where Joe and I reconnected. But basically what it is, is it's in Midtown East in New York City. And it's a pretty cool holistic space where lots of different practitioners come together to serve a clientele. So everything from massage to acupuncture to strength and conditioning to athletic training to Pilates. And then I would say the bread and butter of the business is physical therapy. So small business, everyone really is connected with each other. And what happened was that I actually came in as an athletic trainer but over my three and a half years there, I, again, using like these other skill sets that I had learned on these other jobs, because it was a small company, I was kind of able to 
dip my hands into a lot of different things. And so if there was a, a slow time, like for example, around the holidays or in the summer when clientele is out in the Hamptons, there were other projects I would be able to take on. And so I worked my way from just being a staff athletic trainer to being the clinical strategic manager. So I was working as a direct report to the CEO. And so I had a lot of different responsibilities, everything from kind of being a liaison from the clinical staff to the admin staff and make, making sure everything ran smoothly to, you know, dealing with any issues that came up with patients to dealing with outside vendors and contractors. Um, and then of course, still seeing my own caseload of clients who were kind of transitioning from physical therapy into that strength and conditioning realm. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, very nice place to flex. You know, I, I do train some of my clients there. Well, you know, up until the pandemic. Uh, but again, you know, you bring it up again, the experience, you know, because of what you've already done or what you kind of allowed yourself to get involved in at another place, uh, you know, ended up for you to have more opportunity and more growth at the new place. So that's, again, we talk about experience, you know, whenever you get an opportunity somewhere or something, you kind of never know where you're going to use it. So it's important to kind of take every opportunity, everything that happens uh, with stride. I'm going to get into it a little bit, but, you know, I talk about COVID all the time and how, you know, yes, it's a pandemic. It's, it's a terrible thing, but it, I also, think it's a time where you can really sit back you can you know kind of reevaluate what you want to do and you know what makes you happy and then you know you can go from there you know it's not you can look at it as a negative but I think in some ways it is a positive in terms of you know self uh, motivation or, or kind of finding out what you want to do yeah and if you're again if you're a student or you know, you're newer in the profession. I don't want to dissuade you from doing your hands on. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing taught, we're talking about is to discourage. No, I taught a grad class this semester and, you know, we were going through different skill sets and whatever. And one of my students came up to me afterwards and he's like, so are you saying like the only way to, you know, make X amount of money or like grow in athletic training is to get out of athletic training? And I was like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. But the best growth tool I can say is to kind of sharpen your skills so that you have options down the road because you never know what option you'll want to take, even if it's short term, even if it's six months and you're covering for somebody, right? Again, those are all just allowing you to kind of move through your life with a little bit more ease rather than feeling stuck. Yeah. And I think stuck is, is the big, is the biggest thing. You know, it does happen a lot. I feel in the field, you know, just talking to a lot of people. Uh, it did happen with me. Like I said, I was, you know, Mets, Mets, Mets and strength conditioning for five years straight. And then when I got there, you know, after the three years was over, I, I felt stuck, you know, you're kind of like, what am I going to do? Is this the only thing I can do? You know, what am I going to do next? You start talking about going into other, you know, realms and businesses. So I, so I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing is to make sure that you're continuously building your skill set so that you don't feel stuck. You know, you're not actually stuck, but, you know, like you said, when you're grinding for five years all the time, life moves around you. And it's not that you're stuck in one place, but you're so involved in the sports world and in the world of sports medicine that you miss all these important things, you know, weddings and birthdays and things. So you kind of feel like people move away or, you know, things are moving a little faster than you. So I think that's very important to always make sure you're, you have something to work on and have something to grow on within the field you know even if it's not direct at you know take a new certification get involved in you know certain things so that you're always building your skill set because i think that word stuck that erica brings up is is a big deal because i felt it you know i talk to people on the phone now all the time uh you know they just feel like they're they're kind of trapped spinning their wheels and i'm like well you're not stuck but you know 
everybody's kind of down, but, but I think it's important to, you know, learn, you know, just always build your skills. You know, if you're not good at marketing, go do marketing, you know, just for everybody out there with the podcast, I had no clue what I was doing. And then I just started kind of putting some stuff together. So, um, you know, we're in a good place. So uh, I want to get your take. So being through all the experiences you've had, different universities, what do you think are, you know, we can do one thing, two thing, you know, whatever you want to do. What are the, some of the things you think need to be changed in the realm of, well, I guess we'll go athletic training and then we'll go into the strength and conditioning side as well, since you're involved with that too. Yeah. So um, athletic training, one of the things I think could really change, and this is kind of what we've been talking about, and it's kind of just what my career has led me to. And you know, other people might have a different opinion, but we really, as a profession, um, and if other athletic trainers are listening to this, they're probably going to laugh. We really like glorify the grind, right? Like we're very proud of like, Oh, we don't get paid overtime. We're the first ones in, we're the last ones out. Like our athletes, you know, they're like our priority. I don't mind skipping these things. Got to take care of my athletes. And the profession kind of is really built on that. And it's really unfortunate because then there's a lot of attrition in the profession, right? Because as we're talking about, when people are ready to move forward with their lives, they're finding that they can't kind of make the two sides compatible. And that's really a shame because there's really some like amazing athletic trainers that have had to step back from the profession because they want us to start a family or, or something like that. Right. And I'm not saying there's people who can't do both, but I mean, you know how it is. Again, we know coaches who, you know, sleep in their office the whole season because traveling back to where they live is too difficult, you know, and, or people who are moving their families around from job to job because they got these opportunities and it can be a really difficult life. And so I think one of the priorities in the profession really needs to become, and I, I think it might be starting but kind of taking our stand for our own work-life balance. And, you know, you'll hear people say like, oh, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that's a hundred percent true. Like I love what I do, but you have to love your whole life. And so if your work becomes your life, then when suddenly you don't have your work, you look and then you have nothing, Right. So you really want to say like, I love the work that I do. And I also love my life outside of my work. And I think there are just certain professions that do better with that. And then there are other professions that don't do well with that at all. And so that's really something I, I would like to see change is the profession as a whole, standing up for the mental health and the work-life balance and a support system for the athletic trainers. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the point. You know, everybody talks about grinding. I talked about it in one of the other podcasts. And it's hard, you know, to get experiences and to do different things. You have to figure out a way, you know, to make money and to get more experience. And also that grind word you bring up, I, I mean, everybody's in it and you sleep in your office. You know, I've been done the same thing, but I don't think that's the way exactly how you're speaking. You need to have a, a balance, you know, and I completely agree. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day, but you still need that, that kind of time out. You know, you need to say, okay, this is work. I love this, but then here's my family, my friend's time. I love this more and this keeps me balanced. You know, you can't put everything into one because I think once one disappears or something happens, then you don't have the other thing to kind of lean on as much. And it, it, there's not a balance there. So I think you bring up an extremely uh, valid point, you know, that that is something that needs to happen. You know, there has to be more balance and that word grind, I, I think it needs to be, you know, you don't have to kill yourself to be successful at this, you know, because that's what happens. You know, I did it, you know, sleeping at LIU and being there 
for it seems like a year. I mean, I'd show up in September and then I would go home on like August 25th and come back five days later, you know? So I think that's a, you know, something that needs to change. And, and I hope that we're, uh, you know, we're getting there. You know, you brought up the stuff with mental health and different things. And I, I hope that becomes uh, important because we burn out too, you know, just like the athletes and all the things you're helping out. A lot of the times you're helping out athletes with all these problems and different things, because as the AT, as a strength coach, they're the ones you're coming to. They're not going to go to the coach. You know, they're not going to sometimes go to their parents and, you know, other players on the team. So you're the one who's in there having those zero heart to hearts, especially, you know, in the AT realm, you know, right after injuries and things like that. I think those are some of the hardest times to deal with, but I think it really gives you a sense of what you're really made up to as an athletic trainer, as a coach, because when you're able to help athletes with that and you're able to help them kind of get out of those times and make it through and then watch them succeed on the field, I think that's one of the most rewarding things of the profession. hundred percent. It's so fulfilling and so rewarding. And there's nothing that like made me prouder than like watching one of my athletes get back on the field for the first time. Right. And there's also times I've gone home from work crying because I couldn't help somebody the way I wanted to. Right. So it really, you know, you should feel that way. I believe you should feel that way about your job and you should care it that much. But when you say like, I love my job and then you say, I love my friends and I love my family. If we were just to switch the word love out for like, give attention to, mm -hmm. could we say it as honestly? And, you know, I think if we can't, then we need to look at how we're distributing our, our balance of our attention. Right. Yeah, I think it's a big deal. I think balance is the key in the profession. I think they should write it on the board in, you know, every freshman class in college and say, this is this is your goal in this whole thing. You know, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever sport you end up in, you have to learn to balance or less you're going to be, you know, you're going to burn yourself out. And we're doing better with it, right? Like when we're training our athletes, we know so much more about how to load people appropriately and how to train in a smart way that's evidence-based. Um, again, rather than the athletes just grinding it out, right. We're going to have them grind, but it's only going to be for a certain period of time. We're going to make sure the load is sustainable. We're going to make sure that it's making them stronger. It's making them better and it's not going to hurt them. And so if we just took that and extrapolated it out to our professions, you know, I, I think it's going in that direction, right? What we're doing for our athletes, we have to do it for ourselves. Yeah, of course. I, I believe that 100%. It's kind of ironic, right? We all work, we're mainly concerned about the load and, and how much they're working, how much sleep they're getting, what they're eating, what they're doing, and then you're killing yourself on the other side, you know? So that's something I think, you know, we have to, it has to become a, a closer together, or you have to kind of reflect and say, okay, you know, if I'm not here, or I can't come to work today, then it's going to hurt the athletes overall. So I need to make sure that I'm in a good spot, you know, mentally and physically too, so I can, so I can do my job. Uh, so let's do the uh, strength conditioning side now. If you could change something or something you'd like to see from the strength conditioning side, what would it be? To be honest, I would love to see the rest of the world function the way college <laughs> functions. Yeah. Uh, that would be my dream. Just, you know, as an athletic trainer, knowing that I had that strength and conditioning coach there and, you know, we would rehab our athletes, you know, at LIU, um, you know, we didn't, we worked a bit with PT, but we really didn't have PTs where we were sending our athletes off. We were doing all the rehab kind of up to return to play, but you're always keeping not only the team coaches, but the strength coach in the loop. You guys are working together. Um, and I wish I had that in real life, right? When patients are done with physical therapy to have that communication and that release to a strength coach, you know, or I mean, I guess for regular people, right? It's they're getting released to their personal trainer, but just to have that consistent loop of communication um, 
would make such a difference and the doctors communicating with strength and conditioning professionals and feeling like there's just that respect that goes in all directions. Um, Cause what I see a lot of times is the, the strength coach having to constantly reach out and say, um, to the patient, you know, oh, okay, well, what did the PT say for you to do? And like, what did the doctor say? And the patient's being asked to like translate, right? Because they're a patient of this doctor, but they're a client of this strength coach. And I, I just wish that we had a little bit more open lines of communication. And I kind of got to see that, um, and you got to see it when we were at Flex, right? There was just this open space for everyone to communicate and it worked so well. And I would really like to see just, allied health professionals working with strength professionals to have that take place more often. Yeah, I think communication is the biggest thing that that still needs to work on. I mean, I, I've talked about it a lot too, you know, as a, as a, on a personal training note too, when I've done that, you know, a lot of times you ask your clients, do you want me to call your PT? And they look at you like you're insane. And I'm like, well, I can, you know, I can do that too, you know, and, but kind of navigating those lines, you know, some of your clients don't want you to call the PT or the doctor because something terrible could happen if you have a conversation. So I think it's, you know, that's good. We need to have communication. I think everything would function a lot better. Better if you went and got surgery, you went to a, a PT, and then if you had a perspective, you know, a personal trainer or somebody else, you know, we could keep you there because, you know, a lot of times, you know, as you know, you come out of surgery, you're, you're not where you used to be. You're kind of like a baby deer, you know, learning how to walk again. And now, you know, they just kind of let you go a little bit. And I think communication would, would make things a lot better. And I think the, the reoccurring stuff uh, would be, you know, a lot better as well. And we'd be able to combat some of that things if, if we could just communicate. And I think just my opinion, I think it comes down to ego. And I think it's something to step back from, you know, a doctor is going to sometimes act like they know more than you, or you have no business calling them. And, you know, sometimes there's a, there's an issue there, but I think we can make it better with communication. And I also think from a personal training standpoint and sometimes strength conditioning, not much with ATs because you guys are, you know, great with all usually the knowledge and the, the, you know, learning how to speak to the doctors. But a lot of times in my, you know, with the strength conditioning and the personal trainers, they're not versed enough or they didn't do their due diligence and they don't have the abilities to talk to a doctor, to talk to an AT. And I think that's where I've seen in my experience, a lot of the breakdown, you know, ATs are usually, you know, great. You guys are, you know, medically versed and, you know, you can have those conversations and talk to them. It's easy, but most of the time it's a PT, you know, or it's another strength coach or somebody in that realm that just kind of jumped into this, like you said, and they don't love it. And then now I'm forced to kind of break down barriers and, uh, you know, explain to somebody what they can and cannot do, or, you know, you have to worry about what that other individual now is putting your athlete or your patient through because there's no communication. Right. It's just so important for the client to feel like everyone that they're working with mm-hmm. is part of like their team. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And so all those team members need to be in communication and you know, regardless of who initiates, I think it's best if the client initiates the conversation. I, I, would be like, you know, loop me in on an email with these other three people so that we can connect because just because you have ACL surgery, yes, you need to work on your lower body with your physical therapist and be following a doctor's protocol. But what can your strength coach do for your upper body and your cardio endurance while you're working on that, right? And there is that option is available to people, but people don't realize the minute they get hurt, they're like, I got to stop training. I got to put all these things to the side and just go to PT. And that's a really lost opportunity um, for all these professionals to kind of network and get to learn about each other and get to trust each other. And it's the lost opportunity for the client who really is trying to maintain their fitness. 
Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, that happens all the time. You know, they get hurt and it's only only one person or I'm not doing all the other things when in reality, you know, like you brought up, you can still do upper body. And, you know, if you're with your PT doing certain things, you know, let's just bring up an ACL. We can still do things with the other leg, balance, you know, cardio stuff. And I think overall, you know, the words you use as a team, you know, it's every we're all working together. And we the our main goal is to get the you know person back to normal life or get the athlete on the field. And I think a lot of people think that like we're trying to to do something I'm trying to outdo an athletic trainer or, you know, the AT, the strength coach is trying to outdo the doctor. And, and it's not a question of that. It's, it's a balance. And we all, at the end of the day, want the same thing, right? We don't want 75 people in your, in your PT clinic, you know, who've been injured for two years. You know, you want them out of there and back to normal life and then bring in more people so we can get around to more people. So I think that's an amazing point. And I think that's something that definitely needs to, to be addressed and hopefully it builds. Uh, so why don't we bring up the business? I'm excited about this. I want to hear all about it. Uh, we can talk about the new business. So um, why don't we just first go over definitions of things and then we can take it from there. Yeah. So I um, going, you know, into this year, I kind of was feeling this unrest that I was talking about. Right. So this is, I guess, a pattern for me. I'm in a job for a couple of years. And then happens like, to me all the time. My resume is about 17 pages long. <laughs> so what I started to realize, though, for the first time is like, I had always been looking for like this perfect job, right? Like, and I think a lot of people do this. Oh, if I can only get to like this level, then I'm mm -hmm. happy. Or if I can attain this, um, what was happening is, you know, again, I love the work I do. I love my, my patients and my clients, but I was starting to realize that at each job, I was kind of like, whatever the structure of the company was, I was kind of like climbing this little ladder at the company. And then I would get to the top and I'd be like, huh, still not satisfied. Right. And I was like, oh, is this a problem with me or what's going on? And what I realized was that I just wasn't loving like all the aspects of my job. And I started to get into some other things that I felt like were missing. Right. So one of the things you had asked me about when we were texting uh, was Reiki. Right. So I started doing Reiki training about two years ago and Reiki is energy work. And I had been working with a lot of chronic pain patients and I was kind of feeling like there was something more I should be doing for them. And I didn't know what I could be doing. And I was leaving work really drained. And I was like, oh gosh, like my energy is being affected. And so I started doing energy work and that was really amazing. Right. I started doing all this administrative stuff as I got moved up into these different roles and that was great. And there were aspects of it that I enjoyed, but I started feeling really like compartmentalized. So it was like, oh, in these hours, I am going to put on my strength training hat. And in these hours, I'm going to put on my athletic training hat and work with these other patients. And then first thing I do for the day, the first couple of hours, I'm going to put on my admin hat. And then on the weekends, I'm going to put on my Reiki hat and see Reiki clients. And I started to feel very segmented and I was tired all the time. And every time I was doing one thing, I was like thinking about something I had to do for the other thing, right? It was almost like having four part-time jobs. I just couldn't seem to like make everything mesh. And I also started having this kind of like imposter syndrome feeling, right? Where like, oh, well, I'm a strength and conditioning professional, but now that I do Reiki, is that like too woo-woo and strength clients are <laughs> not going to want to see me, right? Or our Reiki clients not going to be into working with me because I'm in like leggings and a tank top instead of like whatever I was thinking a Reiki person should wear. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, I don't know. Having, so yeah. So I started having all these like 
different ideas of what a definition of a strength professional should be or a holistic practitioner should be. And so then COVID hit. And so I wasn't working anymore. And I kind of said to myself, you know, if I'm ever going to do anything different, this is the time. I've never had so much time to myself in my life. And what started to take shape, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. In fact, I was thinking about doing something educational. But what started to take shape was this idea of a business that didn't have to compartmentalize me and where I could be all the things that I was and really just do holistic fitness. And immediately when I kind of hit upon that, it just felt right. And then of course I started backtracking and thinking, well, how did I get to that? Right. And I started realizing how everything does fit together. When I think about athletic training and I think about my athletes who were injured, you know, when an athlete is injured, we learn in school, if you take a sports psychology class that they actually go through the stages of grief. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, first they're in denial and then, you know, bargaining and acceptance and it goes on. Right. So there's a lot of that that goes with an injury. There's a really big emotional aspect to it. They're losing a part of themselves. They're losing a part of their identity. Um, yes. And then we go down the road. There's kind of this fear about return to sport. And then when you take that athlete out of the picture, right? And we think about just a regular person. It's like a weekend warrior. They don't have that support system that you and I were just talking about. These are the people that are like, I'm never going to do a deadlift again because I have a bad back. You know, the people who... Lunges are bad for your knees. Yeah, the people who got injured playing soccer and now they won't play soccer or tennis or golf because they're worried about their knee. And there's a big element of fear, right? So then when I think about the energy work and I do breath work and meditation, those things actually all kind of can help my strength and conditioning clients to kind of get where they need to be, right? Because we don't, we need inner strength in order to kind of achieve our optimal physical strength. We have to be willing to go there and to put in the work and to trust the person that I'm doing the work with in order to build that physical strength. And so when I kind of had that feeling that everything could actually go together, then I started thinking about all these other examples. Like what if when I worked baseball and a pitcher was like having a really rough time on the mound and the pitching coach was going out there and saying like, you know, do you have it or do I need to put somebody else in? What if I went out there and did breath work with him for two minutes? What if we had done a visualization exercise in practice that week and we could bring back that visualization? How would that affect his performance? And so once I started thinking about that, then it was just like all guns blazing. And I knew I had like just that gut feeling that that was the right thing to do. And so I moved ahead and started this holistic fitness business. Well, that's fantastic. And I, I think that it's something that's needed. I think it's the most important thing. Uh, because if you're in a crappy mood or you're dealing with those stages that you just talked about, uh, you know, everything else is impacted, you know, and I think it's the most overlooked thing that you can possibly do. I'm a very high energy person. I have, you know, uh, always on the move, you know, and I can't sit still. But when I do meditate or when I can find the time, it's fantastic. You know, I, I, I want to do more of it. But, you know, sitting still sometimes is extremely hard. But I think that's an amazing, you know, part because I think that's what's needed in everything. You know, you can apply that into everything. You know, you have a weight room session. If you get the kids to breathe for 
five minutes, their lives will change. I mean, you have, you know, from my experience with youth athletes, they're under so much stress with these wonderful cell phones and all this social media stuff, you know, and everything is, is an issue, you know, and, and I, I started to realize, you know, much like you, when I started my own youth business, you know, going through that, I, you know, it's what I wanted to do and I had an idea, but then you start to realize the stress is unbelievable. You know, it's almost was at a point where I couldn't even deal with a lot of it because it's almost, my opinion is that they're so young, they're trying to deal with problems that their brains aren't ready to deal with. And if you could, if we could add these things in there, I, I think it would be, you know, a wonderful thing. You know, I mean, you use it all the time, you know, pitchers breed before they throw, you know, but instead of a mound visit, say throw strikes, because that's my favorite thing that a pitching coach says. I'm like, no, they go out there to throw balls. Like their main objective is throw the ball to the ground. I think if they would breathe, you know, or, you know, just certain things, you know, in the dugout or anything, you know, rugby, swimming, it doesn't matter just in regular life. I think if your whole life would change, if you got up in the morning and just, kind of analyze what's going on for five minutes. So I think that's fantastic. So why don't we, what I would do is just go through like a session, you know, how does it, how do you kind of lay it out? So it's so different for every client. And this is probably what I'm happiest about, right? Because I love to be able to really do targeted programming for each of my clients. And I mean, think about what we call it, right? As strength coaches, we say like exercise prescription. And what that means is your prescription should be targeted so differently to different clients. And there are professionals out there who kind of have this arsenal of exercises, right? And they, they do the same thing with every client and they get results and they will, because of course, all you need is like a push, a pull, a squat, a deadlift, right? A plank. People are going to get strong. It's easy. No problem. But the type of clientele that I'm really attracting just because of my background um, I can tell you most of them are their weekend warriors, their former collegiate athletes. They had an injury at some point down the line, and now they're in the space where they want to enjoy sports, right? They're not competing anymore, but sports are what brings joy to their lives. So whether it's playing golf, playing tennis on the weekend, going for runs, working out in the weight room, and because of this old injury, they're having a problem doing that. And so it could be something that, you know, they had surgery on or they rehabbed and they kind of got back 92%, but they're missing that last eight. Or it could be something that was just always chronic and like annoying, but now that they're getting older and they're in a sedentary situation for five out of seven days, it's becoming more of an issue. And so those are the people that I'm working with, right? So if you are my brand new client, the very first thing that I'm looking at um, you know, every, every person in the industry, right? We want to hear goals. And so I'm going to ask the person their goals, but then beyond that, I want to know what kind of activities do they enjoy doing? I want to know what they want to be able to do that they can't do right now. Like what's bringing them to my door? Because for me, I'm not getting clients who are looking for like weight loss or overall fitness. They're, they're coming to me because they want something really specific, right? So we need to really start not only with basic functional athletic movements, but we also need to look at, you know, what are the couple of key things in their life that they're unable to do right now, right? Because those are like their pain points and we need to be able to give them a solution. And, you know, people ask me if I, if I miss working with like college athletes and I loved working at the college, but it's so special to work with like weekend warriors because when I let them go back to sports, they're actually like, going back to the things that, like I said, really bring them joy, right? So if their work week is their work week and on the weekends, this is what they want to do and they can't because of pain, that's really impacting their life. And so when I'm able to give them that extra, 
you know, 8% back, that's just as fulfilling as watching a college athlete come back from surgery. And it does impact their whole life, right? Because they're happier when they can be active and they're more productive in all the other parts of their life. So we're looking, I'm looking with them for those things. And then I'm looking also not only at their physical limitations, the way like any of us would do with like an FMS or any type of like evaluation, I'm looking for physical limiting factors. And then I'm also looking for limiting factors that are, you know, mental or emotional, right? So whether it's fear, you know, I want them to go from saying like, I can't do this to this is difficult because I haven't done it in so long. You know, and so to hear somebody go from saying like, I just can't squash to saying, okay, you know, my knee is getting a little nervous doing this. That's such a big jump in their thinking. And that's really one of the the main things I'm working with, right? So whether we do it through breath work, visualization, meditation, or, you know, it doesn't have to be like a seated 20 minute meditation before a workout. Maybe it's just a word that they're going to focus on um, with their inhale and their exhale, or maybe it's just something we're repeating throughout the session. But those, those big jumps mentally can lead to a really big jump physically. Yeah, I think we all have that experience, right? You've had that experience with clients. Um, it's just kind of teasing that out and then making that a priority rather than like circumstantial where we look back on it and we're like, Oh, Hey, that was really cool. No, every session I'm going into now, I'm leading with that. Yeah, I, I think that's phenomenal. I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of emptying into something that needs, I think is the most important thing. You know, a lot of times you'll have people ask, what do you do on evals? What do you need to do in order to get, you know, through to somebody? And a lot of times for me, it's a conversation. You know, I'm sure you've heard, oh, you sat there with her for a half hour. I'm like, yeah, but I can get more out of them. Because if I don't figure out what's going on inside your head, what you're thinking about, what you're feeling, you know, because you could be the greatest strength coach in the world. But if the person that you're training thinks you're full of shit, then you're, you know, you're not going to get any with them. So I think that's phenomenal. And I think that's always the number one thing, you know, psychology and being able to get people to think differently, which is some of the things you brought up, I think is where, you know, you're going to make your biggest strides, uh, you know, just today. And, and years ago, I guess I've been doing this for a while because I remember when I was young working at, you know, Gold's Gym when I was 16, 17, and I was going to school initially to be a strength coach. I used to say, I want to be a strength coach and I want to do this. And I had a colleague who's an 18 now that I used to work with. He was older than me. And he said, no, you have to replace, I want to, I will. And then just this morning, I was on the phone with my friend that works with the Astros, and he was talking about working in the big leagues and doing different things. And I said, no, you're, it's not I want to, it's I'm going to and I will. And I think what Erica talks about is great, you changing the perspective, right? If you change the perspective of everything, you know, I think perspective is, is reality to a point. I don't agree that it's all reality, but I think by changing that perspective, not only in fitness, I think in everything, you know, I, I think you make wonderful strides. I mean, we talked about it before with, with COVID. I think you could look at this as, oh my God, this is terrible. And, you know, what am I going to do? I can't go back to work and this and that and the other thing. Or, you know, what truly makes me happy? You know, I mean, like I said before, I talked to a few people and I said, sit down, find out what makes you happy, what you really want to do, what the things that you value, and then find a way 
to make money and not, not in a, you know, a selfish way, but we need money to live. So find out what you're good at. You know, Steve Harvey talks about find your gift. What are you good at talking to people, getting things out there and then figure out a way to turn that into a business and then figure out a way to offer that skill set to people. And I, and I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, perspective is the biggest thing. And, and that's fantastic that, you know, that's what you're doing. I wish I could, I'm going to come down there and see, I'll take the train down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know what the biggest thing is like, you talked on it. It's like, um, you know, Joe Dispenza, I don't know if you've read any of his books. I know um, Drew, who you had on, who we both know, uh, me and Drew were reading Joe Dispenza's book, um, You Are the Placebo. We were reading it at the same time. And one of the he, things- He told he, me to read it, but I didn't. Oh, you got to read it. It's so good. But, you know, one of the things he says all the time is thoughts become things. And so when we're saying things like, I can't, or I don't, um, you know, and listen, if you just had a surgery, yes, 100%, you can't do that. But does that mean you can't do it forever? Not necessarily, right? And But when we keep repeating that to ourselves, um, you know, then it does become our reality. And there's been so many studies done on things like that, right? I don't know if you've seen a study, for example, about like women and math. Have you like read this study? Mm-mm, what is it? So they, they gave a group of women, I'm going to like butcher it a little bit because I don't remember the exact details, but they we're giving a group of women like a math exam and they basically to one group at the beginning of the exam, they had to like watch or read a statement or something about how men are better at math than women. And then they took the exam and the I've other, heard, group, I've heard similar studies, but yeah, different. and the other group had it after their exam. And of course the group who heard it before scored lower because they were expected to, because they had it in their minds when they were taking the exam, the group who didn't read the statement until after did better. And so, you know, I mean, there's so many different studies. That's the one that comes to mind, but there's so many different things that are to that same effect, right? So if we can change the mindset going into something, you know, whether it's exercise or something in life and just the way the sport is somebody's identity and they mourn the loss of that, you know, sometimes an injury, especially if it's something chronic, that becomes part of your identity. And even though you don't want it, sometimes it's very hard to let go of it, right? Because it feels safer than the unknown, and it affects so many facets of our life. And so that's one of the other things like I really work to guide people through is letting go of that as part of their identity. It's really empowering yeah. for them. And I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not fixing them. I'm, I'm guiding them. Yeah. Well, I think, I think guidance is, is the most important thing though. Right. I mean, I think that's the best way to, you know, you're not necessarily fixing things too. I'm not a big fan of, you know, people use, Oh, I fixed nothing's broken, you know, especially, you know, uh, this is a little off, but with youth training too, I hate when it's, you know, what does my son need to fix? What does my daughter need to fix? And I'm like, well, first of all, we need to stop because your daughter's 10. There's nothing broken. So we don't need to fix anything, you know? So I think that's a big thing. And I, I think that's a lot of the times the vocabulary is what happens, you know, corrective exercise is another one for me that I don't like because, you know, people confuse exercises that are used to f- to kind of uh, over, you know, strengthen a weakness so you can do a, a movement efficiently and they call it corrective, which then allows you to think that you're broken, you know, like a band walk to strengthen glutes so that you can use your glutes on when you stand up in a squat, as opposed to your quads is called a corrective because you're broken because there's something wrong with your hips. Right, there's something I, incorrect. I, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's a, you know, that's a big thing. And I think, you know, the, the way in which you present it is, uh, 
is a very, you know, big deal. You know, it's the same thing with the athletic trainer and the strength and conditioning stuff we talked about all along. I think if we were presented in a different way, I think we would all get along a little bit, you know, because every time I watch a movie, it drives me nuts. The strength coach is some guy that yells about bench pressing and whatever. And then, you know, the AT is kind of like a shy person, you know, and, and I think it gives a bad dynamic. You know, we all have our own skill sets and we all know the same stuff, but we're just better at certain things because we've concentrated on that. And I think if we were just come together and it was perceived as we're on the same level as doctors and, you know, everything else, we just have a different, you know, different segment of it, I think, as us to come together. And I think it's fantastic what you're doing with the mindset stuff. I wish I was around when I went to, yeah, the kids in college could have used 10 to 15 minutes of that every day. And you know what, you brought up a great point just now, which is like, and, and you mentioned it earlier too, but I think a lot of it is letting go of like ego, right? When we're talking about connection and communication and teamwork. Um, Cause we, the f- professions I think get very like protective of what's theirs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, physical therapists, everyone is kind of like, Oh no, this, I do this with this athlete. Yep. I do this with this patient. Like you <laughs> don't get to do that. You just stay over there and you do that. Um, And I think, you know, the professions are starting to kind of, there's a lot of gray or blurry areas where things are starting to merge. And I think that's like very exciting because it puts us all up on a similar level where we can have better communication and be better like allies and advocates for the clients. And I think we need to let go of some of that competition between the professions. Yeah, I think the the main thing you bring up, you know, with the camaraderie, I think it's what we have on our side is scientifically as the science gets better, as you know, the analytics get better, eventually it's going to be all this stuff has to be together and we all have to work as one, you know, you need to go, you know, not necessarily, you know, a psychiatrist or do yoga meditate. I, that, that has to be part of everybody's routine, regardless of where you are. I think it, it needs to be, especially athletics, you know, but along the lines, take five minutes, take one minute, 30 seconds, whatever, and find your center. Everybody should do that. You know, just the studies on stress and then moving towards, you know, with ATs and strength coaches, you know, they, everybody starts to realize we need those things to be the best we can be. So I think the more we get advanced with analytics and the more kind of issues that are coming up with a little bit more, you know, especially in sports with the mental side, that's really been there, especially pitchers and things. And you're starting to hear the stories about the guy that won the Cy Young, who was a mess for two years. And now we started doing things with, you know, a therapist or somebody with yoga and, you know, they changed their life. So I think the biggest thing we have on our side is, is the ability of the research and the analytics and the stuff we've all been yelling about for about 15 years, Uh, you know, in order for people to get uh, the best out of their athletes or, you know, as people, uh, that's what's starting to happen. So I think that's a good thing to be in the right direction. Yeah. Michael Phelps is a great advocate for that. Yeah. 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 I think the more we hear like those high level athletes talk about it and people start to understand, you know, that it's not necessarily that you have to go to therapy or that you have to be a yogi and like bliss out meditation for like two hours a day. You know, I, I do breath work. Well, not now it's COVID, but I would do my breath work on the subway on my commute into work. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) You'll be on the news. (laughs) There's always places you can fit it in. And so, you know, I'm sure there are like athletes or coaches listening to this right now that are like, that sounds great in theory, but like, I don't have time for it. So again, I would just encourage you to like, you know, watch the language that you're using with yourself. And, you know, instead of saying like, I don't have time for this. If you were to switch the language to, I'm not willing to make this a priority. Does that still ring true to you? You know, or is this something that, 
you do want to make it a priority. And if you want to make it a priority there, there's going to be time for it. You know, it's just, I think I don't have time for it is, is something we tell ourselves to kind of push things off a little bit. Yeah, no, I think it's something, it's like studying with the TV on when you're a little kid, you know? Oh, I, I studied, I did it. You know, the book was open, but I was watching stuff. So I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things, you know, it's all about, you know, the way you present it. Exactly. Oh, I can't do something or I can't, you know, usually what you see, especially, you know, with me with injuries and then, you know, you had some stuff with uh, swimming, you know, a lot of the times when I talk to people that have been through that, we always continuously push, you know, you get to the same syndrome as you do. I get to the top of the ladder and I'm like, there's got to be more ladder, you know, I'm not going to go down and I'm not going to move over to the side. And I think that comes from the injury stuff and that mental toughness, if you will, it comes out. And I think, uh, you know, it's starting to happen more and more, but I think, you know, initially being run by people, you know, the mental side was only in charge for strength and conditioning. And if you're an athlete or somebody that's been through that, you don't understand what it's like to not go through that. You know, when you, especially, you know, you're in the realm of people that weren't high level athletes or been out of it for a little while. It's very hard to do that. If you're a person who only thinks as an athletic with an athletic hat on or ex athletic hat, I think it's very important to not only, you know, use your words differently, but also as the professional, put yourself in that same scenario and uh, be able to talk to them. I think that's, you know, what Erica talked about too, getting that experience. It's also important because if you can put those shoes on of the other person, you know, because of your experience and say, okay, I've already been through this. Now we know how to fix it. Okay. I've, I got hurt too when I played baseball or I used to play softball in a league and I broke my hand and I can't do this or whatever. But if you can put yourself in those situations and that's why, you know, a lot of times we talk about experience, you never know what you're going to use because especially for me, I did a bunch of stuff when I was younger, worked in gyms and different things. And it wasn't until years later, especially now, a lot of those things are coming back out. Okay. My way to communicate the way in which I carry myself or certain things I've done. And now I understand where the individual is coming from so I can fix the problem. Totally. And it extrapolates out to all areas. So like you never know when your personal experiences are going to come into play when you're working with a client. You never know, We, you know, going back to what we mentioned before about taking on extra tasks, like when you can, right, even if they're not the most exciting things, you never know when that's going to help you. Like for me, I never would have been able to, you know, sit back at the beginning of April and just say like, okay, I'm going to start my own business. If I hadn't had that marketing, branding, administrative experience, right? I wouldn't have known where to start, but because of all those experiences I had professionally that I didn't even enjoy at the time and that I, you know, moved away from because I wasn't happy with them, you know, when I was working on it for myself, it was a really different experience. And so now I kind of look back on that and say like, okay, like I did gain something from that, you know, that wasn't a waste of like three months or six months or whatever, you know? Um, it, it's all like coming to fruition. So again, you just never know uh, whether it's the good things, the bad things, the neutral things, where it's going to come back into play, like later on down the road, either to help yourself or to help one of your clients. Yeah. And I think it's great. I mean, and you've just, you know, you just went through it in April. I went through it starting the podcast. I don't think there's any bigger motivational to do things other than when you work with yourself, because when you decide I'm going to start a business, I'm going to start a podcast, I'm going to write a book, all those things that were kind of in your way or, or anything that you have to do, you figure out. I mean, if you're writing a book, you'll learn how to use a printing press, you know, if you need to do that. So I think that's another thing for, for people, you know, if you're thinking about doing something, regardless of how far fetched it is, 
just start doing it and get involved because once you get involved, whatever it is, your natural kind of drive and inhibitions will take over and you'll pretty much be able to figure out anything or you'll be able to track somebody down who has a better understanding of whatever you're trying to do and they'll be able to fix things. So what is next for the business? What's the general direction for right now? So for right now, I'm really just focusing on, you know, my private clients. Um, I'm trying to have like a kind of slow buildup because I want to be able to adjust on the fly if I need to, just because everything is so new. I'm doing a lot of virtual stuff. And then I've also been doing like in-person sessions, like, you know, out in local parks, which obviously will have to stop at some point during the winter. Um, you know, doing stuff in people's private building gyms if they allow that it'll just depend where the next couple of months go I still kind of have my sights set on maybe doing something educational down the road I am offering a couple of services for you know people basically that are like right behind me right if you're thinking about this and you haven't made the jump yet I just did it and I'm wanting to turn around and give you that hand up um, so I'm offering some things like that. I'm seeing some clients specifically for Reiki. I'm actually becoming a Reiki master uh, in a couple of months, which means I'll be able to teach wow. Reiki people. But, you know, I, I really want the business to be really fluid and see where it goes. And that's just because, you know, it's, it's just me. Um, I don't, right now, I don't want overhead. I don't want staff, even though I, I think a lot of people have this idea of like building this business and then you're kind of the CEO and other people are doing the work for you and earning you money. But for me, I really love what I do. And so what I want is to work with clientele that I love uh, and to have time to do these other things that I love. So I like started a blog on my website and that was the first time I've been able to do any type of like creative writing in years. And that was something I used to love all through high school and college. And it kind of you know, again, it didn't fit in that box, right, of being an athletic trainer. Like, you're not really sitting there journaling when you're <laughs> traveling with the team. But now, because I have this business and the business can be whatever I want it to be, I feel like all the best pieces of me and all the things that I love can now be part of the business, which is really exciting and fun. And so I think as I grow, it's going to grow. Yeah, no, that's great. And and I'm I'm excited to see, you know, what happens with everything, you know, and, and I, I think it's fantastic. And like you said, you know, when you do your own business, I think that's one of the allures, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you know, there's no rules. And I, and I think that's the first kind of little jump that everybody goes through, like, oh, I can't do this, because I'm supposed to be a X, Y, and Z. I'm a strength coach, you know, it's the same thing with some of the stuff, you know, as a strength coach with me, when I was in minor leagues, I started doing some of the stuff that you did not breathing and things, but getting involved with people's psychological stuff and seeing where they were and identifying if I had problems with kids or, or problems that I thought I had with athletes, I would, instead of getting mad, because, you know, for everybody out there that doesn't know, when I was there in 2012 at LIU, I used to scream at everything that moved that didn't have a baseball jersey on, because that's just how it was. But then when I got into the minor leagues, I, when I had issues with people, instead of writing them off, you know, or, or, or building up a perception, I would then try to have conversations. And, you know, one of the kids is my best friends now, and we, we clashed like crazy, you know, when I was in there. So I think that's very important. But I think she brings up a fantastic point, you know, 
when you have your own business, you can do whatever you want, you know, and I think that's in general anywhere, you know, there is no limits to what you can do in, in this realm. And especially that's why I love the sports medicine field. You can go in so many directions, you know, you're not pinholed anywhere. You can write a book, you can teach classes, you can be a personal trainer, you can be an AT, you know, there's so many different directions and I think it all boils down to helping people. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, if you're somebody out there that's listening, um, there's so many resources out there, like depending on what you want to do. But one of the things I would encourage you to kind of do for yourself is, um, you know, we all know with our athletes, right? We do an RPE. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage you to actually do that with yourself. So when you look at your work day, what was your RPE today, right? What was your rate of perceived exertion? How hard, how heavy was your workload? And then like those other factors, right? How well did you sleep? How well did you eat? And then ask yourself, you know, like almost like on your RPE on like a joy scale, right? Like what did I do today that like I really enjoyed doing? And what did I do today that I would rather like delegate to somebody else or have it automated or not have it be on my plate, right? And I'm not saying that tomorrow or next week you'll be able to give it up, but I think it gives you a clearer sight line to where you want to go. Because sometimes we don't have the goal itself in mind yet, but then if you don't have a goal that you're working towards, then it's kind of like, okay, well, how do I get there if I don't know where I'm going? And so when you start to check in with yourself, the way you would check in with your clients suddenly these things start to pop out at you and those can help you even if you're not formulating your goal right away they can certainly help you get on a path that I think will eventually lead you to where you want to be yeah I think that's fantastic you know kind of internalizing uh you as a professional towards yourself I mean a few times with me you know I've done exercises with people and they're like how much of this stuff do you do for yourself and I'm like none you know, so I think it's it's a very, you know, big thing to, you know, always kind of examine what you're doing, right? And, and and Erica talked about the RPE, you know, how hard are we working today? How much sleep did I get? How do I feel? I think that even if you're doing the same thing and you're not progressing in your mind on a professional level, if yesterday you did some sort of work and it was a six and today it's a three, you know, but you did the same amount of work or more, I think that's more beneficial down the road. And I think that is something that, you know, if you could continuously do that and keep that kind of stress away from you or or stay away from those days where you're at a 10 or, you know, be able to manage those, I I think that's a lot more uh, helpful in terms of uh, longevity as opposed to just having a goal and putting a lot of pressure on yourself to just achieve that that one goal. I think it's uh, really about the amount of energy that we're expending, you know, to do that goal and being able to control that. Yes, yes. Check in with yourself and literally, I mean, you can do like a little self-study, right? Like Joe just said, like you can pick anything. Like I, I would, another thing I would think about picking is like, I mean, we could do it right now. How many times, well, maybe not during the pandemic, but how many times have you said to yourself when somebody asked you like, oh, like, so how are you doing? How are you? And you're like, good, busy. Ah, uh, yeah, that's what this, that's what you say. Busy and surviving. Say, right? Good, busy. Or like, people are like, oh, you know, oh, I'm really tired. How many times a week do you say I'm really tired, right? How many times a week do you say I'm good slash busy? Like, that's just the thing that automatically comes out of your mouth after saying good. Like, why are we associating good with busy? Busy doesn't mean productive, right? So catching yourself, it's so funny, but just like catching your client saying like, I can't, you know, what kind of things are you saying to yourself or about yourself that are actually influencing where you take your career? 
Uh, and it's, it's really interesting um, once you start noticing and paying attention and like catching yourself, it's shocking what you can change in your own mindset. And then when you start to, start to change your mindset, you start to change your life. Like it's just, you know, it just happens. You don't even have to make the effort. The second you stop saying those things to yourself and saying them out loud about yourself, your life is going to start to change. Yeah, I think mindset is, is always the most important thing. And, and it's one of those things. If you can change the mindset, you can pretty much get through any situation and you can have a positive outlook and you can pretty much achieve anything, you know, as long as you do that. Uh, so if anybody wants to contact you, have questions, they want to work with you, they want a session, they're more interested, want more information, what are the best ways to contact you? So they can always DM me on Instagram. I'm just notorious.atc. I'll put it in the uh, post uh, tomorrow too. Perfect. I'll, I'll text or I'll sorry, on, uh, on Monday when the podcast comes out. Yeah, I will text it all to you. And then um, my website is just the notoriousatc.com. Um, and on there, you know, I have information for clients, but I do have some information for professionals as well. So even if you, you know, you're not interested in a service, but you just want to chat, please like DM me, um, email me via the website. I'm excited to kind of talk to other people in this field, whether you're doing something like this, whether you're thinking about doing it, um, or whether you just want to hear more about, you know, some of the stuff that I do, like, like Reiki that you might not know too much about. I'm happy to chat. All right. So for anybody out there listening, if you want to get in touch with Erica, uh, use those things, Instagram, the email, I will put the Instagram heading out on the Instagram uh, for the experience uh, when I, when the podcast is released on Monday. Well, Erica, thank you so much. It was amazing. Uh, I enjoyed very much. I learned a lot too. You know, like I said, I've, you know, I've been asking a lot of questions about Ricky and, and those things. So it was, it was great. And I, I can't thank you enough for being on. No, thank you so much for having me. And it's so good to just, you know, after six months of not seeing each other, yeah, it's I know. Like you hear your voice. Um, I'm so happy that the podcast is going well. You know, I've listened to episodes and I love it. So I'm really looking forward to see who else you have on in the future and to seeing that grow for you too. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.